He's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. Welcome to Cyber. This summer, a movie called Sound of Freedom took America by storm. The hero is Tim Ballard, the founder of an organization called Operation Underground Railroad. The movie depicted Ballard as an avenging hero who rescued trafficked children from a life of slavery. But the truth we're all finding out is something a lot more complicated and a lot less heroic. Ballard left the organization around the time that Sound of Freedom premiered following an investigation into his sexual misconduct. It's a wild story involving the LDS church, a psychic channeling the prophet Nephi, and some serious criminal investigations. With us here to tell it are Vice's own Anna Merlin and Tim Marchman. This has been a pretty big week for Anna and Tim. You're reporting um, on Operation Underground Railroad, the LDS Church. So let's let's talk yeah. about some of these scoops. Um, I think the best way to start out here is is really just going back to the beginning and just getting some basic clarifications. So who is Tim Ballard and what is Operation Underground Railroad for those who aren't familiar? Do you want to take that, Anna, or should I? Um, Why don't you take it? That sounds like a thing that you would be good at. Tim Ballard is... uh, self-styled anti-slavery activist from Utah who has represented himself as a former CIA agent and a former investigator in the department in Homeland Security investigations, which is a component of ICE who left government to free women and children from sexual slavery abroad because in his work in government, he found that government was cumbersome and ineffective. And so he founded a group called Operation Underground Railroad, uh, a registered nonprofit, in I think 2013, uh, and began raising money to fund paramilitary missions in foreign countries to free child sex slaves. He is also a pseudo historian, which, which may come up more here, who has written a number of books about how historical figures like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln were part of a divine plan to bring the Latter-day Saints faith to America or directly inspired by it. Even in cases like George Washington, where that would seem a little anachronistic. He has been very close to the Utah Attorney General and celebrities like Glenn Beck and Tony Robbins. Um, And his adventures were, for a number of years, very flatteringly covered in the press, considered very apolitical, um, featured on ESPN broadcasts of NFL games and things like that. He is also the inspiration behind this summer's smash hit Sound of Freedom, in which Jim Caviezel plays a heavily fictionized fictionalized version of Ballard, adventuring in Colombia and doing things like going in a boat to a cartel's jungle hideout in like FARC-controlled territory, mm-hmm. stealthily infiltrating and killing a, a human trafficker with his bare hands. 
which has no basis in reality. Yeah, I was going to uh, say that's uh, the heavily, heavily fiction- fictionalized part of that. Yeah. So <clears throat> he's also in recent years uh, become increasingly prominent as a figure in, in fringe right wing politics. Um, and a f- few, I want to say a few days ago, but it might've been a week. The last week has been a lot. So days are blurring together a little bit. He, uh, yes. he made clear that he would almost certainly be running for Mitt Romney's, uh, Senate seat that he's vacating. And a few days before that he had given congressional testimony in which he referred to the Biden administration as a child trafficking delivery service. He's also a former um, appointed head of a public private council uh, to, to help set federal anti-trafficking policy. He was appointed under, under the Trump administration. So that's, that's the most neutral description I think I can give of, of who Tim Ballard is and why he's a prominent public figure. Yeah, I actually went on a podcast. I've never had this experience. I went on a podcast for a comedian who was like, oh, I actually interviewed Tim Ballard in like 2014 um, and have a different impression of him now than I did then. And I was like, oh, that's never happened to me. Um, You know, or somebody who had participated in the first wave of media then wanted to talk about the subsequent wave of media. Anyway, sorry, Emily, I interrupted you. No, no, that's interesting. Like back in 2014 when he was, I guess, still at Homeland Security. I don't know the exact timeline. No, it was right after he left HSI, right when he founded OUR 2014, 2015, he had a series of like pretty um, either flattering or I would say neutral portrayals. Like there was one piece for, I think, foreign policy, right? Am I right, Tim, that it was for foreign policy is very good where they went, the, the editor writer went with him on a mission and had some sort of like basic questions about what was going on that would prove to be really prescient. I should actually, we should talk to that guy. I should not think out loud. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, Um, the two of you have been reporting on OUR for years now and have been really like uncovering a lot about what is actually going on or maybe more aptly, what isn't going on. Yes. Um, So we started covering OUR in 2020 um, and we had begun looking into them because David Bixenspan, who is a journalist who writes about wrestling, had written about a WWE wrestler uh, referee's support of OUR. Um, and just sort of that that was becoming sort of controversial as people started to question whether OUR was sort of like winking at the sort of QAnon movement and QAnon's ideas about child trafficking. It's worth noting that OUR completely disputes this and has no, like says that they have no affiliation whatsoever with QAnon or QAnon ideas. But anyway, um, so David wrote about this wrestler and Tim and I read it and thought like, oh, there's actually some follow-ups here that we could potentially do to find out about their broader work. So we started by asking, Tim asked just for a list of countries where they work. So pretty soon after we started doing this first sort of round of inquiry, we found out that they were under investigation um, in Utah that a Davis County attorney named Troy Rawlings had sort of opened an investigation and very strongly implied that it was about donor fraud. You know, he posted some things to his Instagram that he's since taken down. But um, so that started to happen. And also, I will just say up front that that investigation closed earlier this year and no charges were filed. 
Um, but so we started looking at the sort of stories that OUR tells about itself, both its overseas missions and its, um, you know, domestic partnerships with law enforcement. And we found pretty quickly a pattern of exaggeration, a pattern of sort of overstating what they were doing in other countries, um, what they their the involvement that they claim to have with local police departments um, and missions or you know operations that were happening in the U.S. And we found this thing that we've talked about a lot, which is the story of this woman that they call Liliana, who they pretty um, pretty baldly sort of claim to have been part of this trafficking survivor named Liliana escaping trafficking when in fact they did not. And Liliana rescued herself. And actually, interestingly, Tim Ballard has subsequently in recent um, statements has actually acknowledged that she rescued herself and that OUR was not involved, which I had not seen him do before. Um, I can't remember where that was, Tim, but there was somewhere. Oh, when he was speaking to Congress um, this last yeah, time and, he addressed Congress a couple <clears throat> weeks ago. Yeah. The reason we started looking into Liliana was because in a bunch of op-eds and in congressional testimony, he had used her story to argue for a border wall, which is uh, something that pretty universally trafficking experts say would would not help and and if anything would hurt. Mm -hmm. And he said that he was uh, telling her story with the permission of the U.S. attorney handling the case, which just as people who cover legal affairs a lot didn't at all add up to us because definitionally, a trafficking victim who is participating in the prosecution of her traffickers will be known to the public through testimony in open court. (laughs) This is the U.S., and mostly we don't have secret star chambers where prosecutions are going on. (laughs) There's no evidence that the public can see and private paramilitary operators have to be given permission to even talk about it to the public. That's not a thing. Mm -hmm. So we were able to really easily identify her case just by reviewing press releases from uh, the U S attorneys in areas where we figured it it might've taken place from, from the sound of the story he was telling. And initially we didn't realize we'd found it because it was so different from the story he told. It was just they they weren't even in the same reality. OUR had had nothing whatsoever to do with her rescue. It was just kind of, I use the phrase negative space, but it can be <clears throat> an interesting way to try to find things is you just rule things out. Like we filed a bunch of public records requests asking if any of the relevant agencies associated with the case had had, you know, if they had any dealings with OUR with Tim Ballard, nothing came back. We called every social services agency we could think of, none of them had heard of them. And, um, you know, those are, those are all red flags. So we ended up writing about uh, that case and, and a bunch of other things. And it became clear that this was not some kind of one-off, that there was just a consistent pattern of serial lying, serial misrepresentation, serial exaggeration. Um, and you know that is that has continued for for the last few years. Um, we'll we'll look into something, and it'll you know it'll turn out to to not quite be what it looks like. Which I I think that basic uh, theory of the case has found its fullest expression over the last week. Would be would be fair to say. Yeah, 
basically we spent, you know, the last three years doing these like little blogs about, I mean, the first, the first couple were pretty, you know, pretty, um, uh, well, well read and well trafficked. And then we would do a series where it'd be like, oh, you are is kind of misrepresenting a partnership they claim to have with American airlines. And everyone Mm -hmm. would be like, why do we care? Why are you writing about this on the tech website? And we'd be like, okay, fair enough. And then this week, everything kind of went nuts. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how this week happened? Because, you know, you talked a yes. little bit about that, uh, the Davis County and FBI investigation and so much yeah. of the information that, you know, backs up what you reported this week is from documents you were able to obtain relating to that. So Tim filed a public records request with an agency that we are going to not name right now because we're working on like an overview piece about how this happened and, you know, also like why make it easier for other people to follow us given what these documents are. Um, so we filed, Tim filed the public records request request with an agency that we expected to be denied. Um, it had been denied the first time around because the investigation was ongoing. Tim, I believe you refiled it, right? Because you were like, well, if the investigation is closed, technically these documents should be available. Yeah, this is going to be, well, this is going to be a little bit in the weeds, but um, we had, so we knew that there was a, uh, uh, an investigation being led by a, a prosecutor in Davis County. And we had also reported that other federal agencies were at least in, involved. Um, now, obviously, now we had in particular heard that the FBI was involved and that an FBI agent had um, been present at interviews with people. So the FBI, as a matter of policy, uh, doesn't confirm or deny that any investigations are ongoing. So this agency, having previously denied requests for any communications involving OUR Tim Ballard on the grounds that there was an ongoing investigation, we figured, um, hey, if we if we file this, we know the Davis County uh, investigation is closed. So if we file this request and they again say they can't disclose it because of uh, an ongoing investigation that would at least suggest that the FBI might be continuing to investigate independently. So that was really what we were looking to get, but we didn't expect anything substantive uh, because the agency we filed to has no involvement in in the investigation whatsoever. So we were expecting to maybe just get back like some random email. A lot of times when you ask for records from an agency about a public figure, you'll end up getting like a lot of news blasts. Um, like, you know, people subscribe to the the Deseret News or whatever. And Tim Ballard's name came up because he he published an op-ed and that's the sort of thing you'll get. We got something very different. I'll, I'll let Anna take the story from here unless she doesn't want to. Sorry, I muted for a minute because the cat was scratching with his cone on. Um, <laughs> it was an adorable story. noise. I, I don't it. have a cat. I literally do not have a cat. So this is all very unusual. Anyway, um, so what happened basically? So as Tim is saying, this was his very clever way to try to figure out whether there was still some kind of investigation ongoing that would preclude this agency from giving us these documents. And instead, they just gave us a bunch of documents. And we were like, oh, that's not what we expected. Um, So in them contained enough information that we then went to the LDS church, like we went to the church media relations office and we said, hey, there's a bunch of stuff in here alleging that Tim Ballard of OUR was trying to leverage his friendship with M. Russell Ballard, who is the president of the 
quorum of the apostle of 12, which is right. I said that correctly. Quorum of the 12 please excuse me. Yeah. Please excuse me if there are LDS listeners and I'm butchering that, but basically M Russell Ballard, who's a very senior um, figure within the LDS church. He's in his nineties. He's actually very beloved. Um, uh, as one of the apostles, people have been reaching out to me this week to talk about how they feel about elder Ballard, um, president Ballard. So basically we went to the LDS church and we said, Hey, we have these investigative files that seem to indicate that um, one of the lines of inquiry you were pursuing was sort of the fact that Tim Ballard was constantly telling people that President Ballard was, you know, not just a friend of his, but was also sort of um, giving kind of tacit, you know, spiritual support to these missions and then was being sort of his name was being thrown around in connection with this kind of like half-cocked business venture uh, that didn't really get anywhere. That was basically about the um, the proposed ownership of this company called Slave Stealers that would have kind of taken over OUR. Um, it's all very complicated. It's a little much to get into, but basically we, we said to the LDS church, like, what do you have to say about sort of what is in here as far as President Ballard is involved? And it's worth noting that these two men are not related despite having the same name, uh, same last name. Uh, so sorry about that. Um, and what we expected again was to get back like a no comment or a like, you know, we can't really, this isn't really um, something that we can talk to you about or we'll get back to you. And instead um, they kept saying, you know, we're still looking into this. We're still looking into this for like two or three weeks. Right. Yeah. I think it ended up being three in the end. Tim. Yeah, it was, it was, it was quite a while. It was quite a while. And then eventually they sent us this pretty stunning statement, essentially like, denouncing Tim Ballard and saying that he had betrayed his friendship with President Ballard and that he had, you know, used President Ballard's names, name in ways that were inappropriate to kind of further his, I think they said personal and financial interests, something along those lines. I can pull it up if we need it. But essentially this very, very and also for morally unacceptable activity regarded as morally unacceptable. Was yeah, let me, I'm going to pull this up on the screen for our viewers. Can you contextualize yeah. like how unusual yeah. it is to get this clear and strong a statement from a group like so, the LDS Church? Yeah, so we understood just looking at it like, wow, this seems unusual. This is like a major, this is the central kind of administrative body of a major world religion. And they are giving us of all people, as many people would come to point out, vice of all people, this very, very, very clear statement saying, you know, this faithful member of our church, because he is like, by all accounts, Tim Ballard is a very, very devout member of the LDS church. And that has informed many of his like life decisions. Um, you know, it, it's just very unusual to see kind of a denunciation like this. Um, yeah. And experts so it is talked to and, and people have written about it have said it's pretty much unprecedented. Right. And so we soon realized just how true that was because it created like an immediate kind of um, wave of stir, wave of disbelief and strong reaction from people across Utah, both in the LDS community and sort of outside of it, anybody who kind of had any understanding of how the church usually works. And it also, as we'll probably talk about, generated all these conspiracy theories about whether or not the statement 
was true, was real, whether we had really gotten it or we were just making it up. You know, I mean, it really generated a bunch of um, bunch of stuff. So uh, this was a huge deal. And then soon after we were in a position to report that not only had Tim Ballard left OUR, which is something that we had reported over the summer that he had left um, just before Sound of Freedom came out, the movie kind of valorizing his exploits. But, um, you know, earlier this week, we were able to report that Mr. Ballard had actually left following an internal investigation into sexual misconduct allegations against him, which would, had been something that we didn't feel comfortable initially reporting in July. So we reported on the letter. We reported on these sexual misconduct allegations or the investigation therein. We haven't gone into detail about what the allegations um, comprised of with a few notable exceptions. We kind of talked very briefly about what they were said to involve. And then after that, um, the next day, we wrote about a former OUR operative and sort of very wealthy and influential Utah businessman named Paul Hutchinson, who um, groped the breasts of a woman who at the time he and other OUR operatives believed to be underage while on a mission in Mexico. And so all of this is sort of um, drawn from or informed by these documents that we got. So yeah, it's been it's been a big week. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back, Cyber Listeners. We're back on with Anna Merlin and Tim Marchman talking about Operation Underground Railroad. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, we started to talk about some of the things that Ballard, that Tim Ballard, to be to be clear, um, was claiming. Yeah, we got to be really careful about those first names. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's trust me. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys in recording TikToks about this this week. I was like, OK, I have to make sure that I am saying first names all the time so that there's as minimal really good job here as possible. You did um, a really good job. You were really careful just to say, like, if anybody thinks that Emily just gets on, you know, her front facing camera and just kind of summarizes articles as she remembers them. Like, that's not true. She's very careful with her scripts. We go over them. If necessary, we ask legal to look at them. Like, they are very, very, very carefully done. So I appreciate that. Shout out, Emily. Anyway, yeah. But I wanted to talk about something that you mentioned within the the release of documents, and that is a picture of a whiteboard, um, mm-hmm. which I'm going to pull up um, on a different... I think I have it here. Is it fair to there say this go. is... Tim, do you want to... An iconic whiteboard in the in the story of Tim Ballard now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so we published the redacted version. Other folks have published an unredacted version. We had, you know, reasons for deciding that this was the ethical way to do it, but other folks made different decisions, just to be clear. Um, go ahead, Tim. You're better at this. So the whiteboard was drawn by Tim Ballard at a meeting with uh, several close associates in 2019. And it describes a scheme whereby he would 
create a for-profit company called Slave Stealers, which I, th- I think it's worth taking a, a step back here just to just to note that, you know, is an overwhelmingly white organization based out of Utah that has appropriated the name of the Underground Railroad, uh, identified itself as, you know, at the forefront of the modern abolitionist movement, and even sold a painting of black abolitionists like Harriet Tubman, along with, for some reason, celebrities, including Albert Pujols and Montel Williams, uh, like kneeling to or bowing before Tim Ballard and his wife as they carry uh, black children along a railroad. So, <laughs> so slave stealers is really heavily loaded language. But the, the idea this is also informed by other reporting besides just the whiteboard diagram. But the idea is that this for-profit company would uh, be the head of the network of nonprofit organizations that Ballard controlled and that it would funnel all of those would funnel attention to his personal brand, like a website, big time speaking fees. Um, it's, it's basically a chart on which Tim Ballard hasn't commented. So, so I'm just going to, you know, to neutrally describe what is on the, the, the board, not necessarily his intentions uh, as to what to do with it. It describes a way of operating all these really, really successful, like nonprofits that are raising, you know, in the tens of millions annually as under the control of a for-profit company and ultimately reflecting attention back to him and his personal brand um, and being used as part of a, a front to lure Americans in uh, to the anti-trafficking cause and the, you know, the, what he calls the sizzle of the rescue, um, like basically drawing people's attention so that he can lead them to the covenant, i.e. Uh, convert Americans to the Mormon faith. That is the ultimate aim of his operations as people close to him describe their understanding of them in the documents we've been res- rescuing. So like to, to put it a little, a little less awkwardly, what it appears from the evidence we have is that Ballard visualizes himself as a Mormon Messiah who is going to get attention for these uh, spectacular exploits of his, which are mostly completely made up. Um, and then in, in a kind of shell game, <laughs> uh, you know, he'll get their attention with that, bring them to Mormonism. And there's also reason to believe that he sees us as being in the end times. And so that this role of his is especially crucial. And presumably that would be one reason why he thinks it's so important for him to be a senator from Utah so that he can wield the power of the government in the service of these various agendas. Yeah, I mean, that the the real interesting thing, you know, this whiteboard is fascinating to me for a number of reasons, both in how, you know, brazen it feels, um, but also in I just keep thinking about, you know, and, and we could get into this a little bit the more that we talk about the reaction to um, this reporting, but the various like Christian sect infighting um, and 
people that really supported Sound of Freedom and were getting, you know, really up in arms about this movie. And then this news coming to light. I'm just, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but I'm just so curious to see, you know, what that wider reaction might look like, you know, and, and also, I think that's yeah. a, I think that's a fascinating point. And honestly, it's something that something hasn't happened that um, surprises me. And I want to be very careful uh, in how I'm talking about this. There is a long history of uh, severe anti-Mormon bigotry in America. I was, mm-hmm. I was for unrelated reasons. Uh, the other day I came across an article from, I think 2008 in which the editor of slate just as like a hot take he was putting out was like, I think it's totally reasonable to not ever want to vote for Mormon because they're Mormon. Their faith is insane. And like, you'd have to be a crazy person to believe in it. And he was basically saying, you know, is it any wackier than Judaism or Christianity? Not really, but those have been around for a long time. Like people understand that their central uh, theology is basically, you know, mythological. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? This is like, how can you, you know, how can you be writing this? So, you know, for instance, that Mitt Romney got the Republican nomination, uh, you know, with the not unanimous, but broad support of American evangelicals was interesting and a really significant Mm -hmm. step forward for a group of Americans who have had a very stigmatized faith, whatever one makes of Mitt Romney or his political beliefs or his politics. Um, You know, that was unequivocally a positive, groundbreaking uh, moment in American history. But that has sort of that has sort of papered over this real tension uh, where a lot of American evangelicals don't really regard Mormons as Christians. And obviously they are distinct, if highly related uh, faith traditions. And, you know, there are there are academic and theological disputes over whether Mormonism is the fourth faith of Abraham or, you know, part of mainline Christianity. And, you know, this isn't a place to talk about any of that. It's just to say that objectively there has been this incredible tension. And so the revelation that Tim Ballard uh, views this, this very popular work that's very highly supported, uh, you know, especially among the American right, as a covert means of conversion, that that has not inspired any kind of backlash. It's just very interesting to me. And, you know, I don't know if that's because that isn't being talked about in uh, media spaces where, you know, American evangelicals get their information or if they don't care. uh, And if they don't care, that would be very interesting to me. That would suggest that the kind of um, loose talk that you even see when when Romney was running for the nomination about how he's part of a cult or, you know, he's not really a Christian or whatever has just kind of died down. And that's not a viable political discourse in America in 2023, which would be a very positive thing. I mean, people can obviously have, you know, reasonable discussions about, you know, the matters I was just talking about, um, you know, the relationship of, you know, mainline Protestantism to Catholicism to various flavors of orthodoxy to, to Mormonism, like those are perfectly fine conversations to have, but not seeing anyone just say, Oh, right. It turns out that the cultists just wanted to convert people to his cult. Great. Hope that keeps up. Now, is it be, the you know, other, whether, whether, now, whether his agenda to use a, a, a 501c3 nonprofit uh, for this purpose 
this is a good idea when he's been representing it as uh, ecumenical and apolitical. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a different thing. The other context here that I don't even know if we mentioned yet is that Tim Ballard yeah, is widely actually, believed before to be. Before we get into, you know, yeah. some of the reporting on your reporting, I actually wanted to bring up that painting um, that we were talking about earlier, just so people have a visual, um, you know, visual, visual evidence that this in fact exists. If we could bring up. Um, and if you are listening to the podcast afterwards, I will put a link to this in the show notes. Yeah, it has become so Tim Marchman's here it is. quest to yeah get a copy of this painting. Marchman is completely obsessed with getting printed this painting. I think not much to say about eBay. this aside from here it yeah. is. Um, yeah, there's also another is. one that Tim, you sent this to me at one point where it's like on his mantle, on Tim Ballard's like fireplace behind him, and in, in videos <laughs> that he's done with, it's like it's Lincoln, Washington. Martin Luther and Brigham Young, or is it Joseph, Joseph Smith? Smith? It's Joseph Thank Smith, you. and and Tim Ballard is in the middle of these figures. It's like a, a an apparently custom piece of art that's on his mantle next to a painting of Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Um, so I, I will just leave that there. Yeah, I would love to know about the provenance of that art, but that's that's for another day and another investigation. Yeah, I I will say that it's not the most serious matter we have to put to Mr. Ballard, who hasn't been particularly forthcoming with uh, responses to requests for comment. But it is something that we will absolutely ask him about at some point. Hopefully we get an answer. Before hopefully yeah. I can get a copy of it. Before I lose this thought, um can I make a, an observation or a question about uh, why there's not as much religious fight over all this stuff? Uh, mm. is, is it because at the center of this thing is this idea that people are saving children? And if people are saving children, then that is something that we can push all of our everything else aside. Every denominational fight, every like ecumenical question, we can push it aside and we can all agree that children should not be trafficked and we have to do whatever we can to save them if they are. Yes. I mean, and none of this reporting should be taken to mean that trafficking doesn't happen. Oh, sorry. You can't hear me. I can hear her. Oh, you can hear her. Okay. I don't know if the stream can. Okay. Oh, um, Tim, do you want to talk at all? We got you. We got you. Sorry about that. Sorry, I'm using new headphones. I can switch if need be. No, I don't think yeah. it was. So I think it was on our reporting, end. Sorry. Okay. None of this reporting should be taken to mean that trafficking doesn't exist or that it doesn't happen. One of the stories that I did independently while Tim was enjoying a much needed vacation was talking to trafficking survivors who now work in the anti-trafficking space about what organizations like OUR and what movies like Sound of Freedom have done to sort of people's understanding of trafficking and the ways in which it has actually maybe created some confusion about what trafficking usually looks like. But yes, trafficking is real. It happens. Um, It does not always happen in the ways that OUR has sort of a vested interest in describing. Um, The other thing that I think is important to mention before we move too far away from it is that concern for children and a stated conviction to, to save children by any means necessary has been used as cover for a lot of um, pretty sort of egregious times in American history. You know, we can talk about the satanic panic where people ended up going to prison over both false and sort of like plainly untrue allegations of satanic ritual abuse. Um, You know, there was an earlier sort of like 
satanic panic-esque scandal in the 1970s that people tend to forget about. Um, both Pizzagate and QAnon have been sort of rife with these ideas that, you know, in order to save children from the sex trafficking elites, anything is, you know, morally permissible um, and any rhetoric is justified. So, yeah, there's um, there's a bunch of stuff here about both the very real and legitimate desire to save children and then the fact that um, the the stated desire to save children is obviously often used as sort of cover for some pretty extreme rhetoric. Galt, I also want to answer that question a little bit differently. Um, one response we've definitely seen from a lot of people to our reporting is, I don't care if Ballard did this. So I don't think we've mentioned this, but one of the... Uh, the basic contours of what we understand the uh, sexual misconduct allegations against Tim Ballard to be um, is that he asked women who worked for OUR to accompany him on overseas missions uh, while posing as his wife and that he asked them to shower with him or sleep in the same bed with him uh, as a way of seeing if they had sexual chemistry so that they could fool traffickers so that they could plausibly uh, act as man and wife while on these missions talking to, to traffickers and so on. So we've definitely had a lot of response along the lines of, well, he was undercover or, you know, he needed to do this to save children. And similarly, we've seen that with, uh, you know, Paul Hutchinson, the executive producer of sound of freedom. And for a long time, a very high up figure, in OUR, um, groping the breasts of a girl he and his associates believe to be 16. It was caught on film that he's admitted to. That's not in dispute. He does say that she was later uh, discovered by the Mexican police to be 18, um, although he says he has an affidavit about that and hasn't provided it to us. So I want to make, you know, I want to make really, really clear that we've talked to, you know, survivors, advocates, um, you know, academic experts, all manner of people, very much including law enforcement people who work for various agencies all around the world conducting exactly these kind of investigations actually under color, color of law, you know, going undercover, talking to predators, gathering evidence against them, putting them in jail. And they, to a person, I have not had one person say anything else. And, and Anna, if you have, you know, by all means, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if you've talked to anyone who disagrees, they say that <clears throat> this kind of undercover operation being done by private people is useless, that in legitimate uh, undercover law enforcement work, there's never a need to, you know, harm a trafficking victim. There is never, they say it's actually not even that dangerous as undercover work in a foreign country goes, because basically if you're representing yourself as a rich American tourist who wants uh, to, you know, party with underage children, you're, you're someone who wants to buy a product they're selling. They're, you know, they're not um, the, the, the idea that you would have to do these things to save the children is Maybe an interesting philosophical question to talk over in your dorm room while you're smoking a bong. But when it comes to uh, whether this specific conduct would be necessary, it's just not. 
unless everybody else in the world is wrong and the people who carry out these kind of missions is right. So I understand why people want to say, oh, you know, don't you think it's, it's worth breaking a few eggs, you know, to make an omelet? This isn't breaking a few eggs to make an omelet. This is like breaking eggs into the garbage can, throwing the shells in a pan, uh, smashing it all up, and then saying, you know, look what good food this is. Don't you want people to eat? Do you want people to starve? It's just it's just like completely non-responsive to what the actual issues are here are. The sorry, I'll I'll jump off of this after this question, but it's a weird trip to bring your wife on to. Right. It's a great yes, point. That that's has been pointed really, out. I think that's an excellent point because um, I would think that anybody who's going to, we'll say Venezuela, right, was going to Venezuela to participate in uh, sex tourism to find traffickers of young children so that they could sexually exploit them would probably not bring their spouse along. There may be exceptions. Yeah. Another, another interesting, you know, methodological wrinkle here that I want to bring up um, is how OUR used a psychic to guide them yeah. on these missions. Can you tell us a little bit about this psychic and um, that's, yeah. her method? That's another story. Yeah, that's another story we published this week that we forgot to mention because there's a lot going on. Um, so we initially wrote about this woman whose name is Janet Russin in 2021. At the time, we didn't use her last name. Um, we subsequently did in our reporting this week. Um, so basically, another thing in these investigative documents that we got back uh, details Ms. Russin, uh, her role in the organization, which is that she was being paid for sort of like, I, I want to try to be clear about what the wording was that they used. Hang yeah, the on. wording was very interesting to me. I can I can pull it the up. The wording as well. was interesting. So um, it says an investigator wrote in the documents that they had learned that Ms. Russin was being paid a monthly consultant fee by OUR of approximately five thousand dollars, with then an additional additional hourly or operational readings contract of about fifteen hundred dollars. Um, and the group relied very heavily on her supposed psychic visions um, to plan and carry out missions. And the documents that we got also describe her on a specific mission mission um, that we now believe to be in Haiti, uh, um, trying to find a trafficked, or a, excuse me, trying to find a missing child named Gardy Marty. And Gardy's disappearance, um, Tim Ballard has often said, is his kind of reason for starting OUR, for leaving government and starting OUR, was to be able to look for Gardy. Um, and so we have this description of Ms. Russin and Mr. Ballard, you know, um, looking for Gardy with Gardy's father, Gesno, in tow and telling Gesno that Gardy is nearby and that they're going to find him. And Ms. Russin saying that, you know, without her visions, he would not have been found. And so saying to Gesno, no way you would have found this place, no way. And then Mr. Ballard saying, guess nobody, he's here. We're going to get him. So that is not true. Um, they never found Gardy, have not to this day. And that also didn't end Ms. Russin's affiliation with OUR. Um, subsequently, as the organization confirmed to us, she was named as the executive director of Children Need Families, 
which is a company sort of with, within OUR started by Mr. Ballard's wife, Catherine, that said it provided sort of grants to families seeking to adopt children. Yeah. Um, and at another one, time. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's just for, for those of you thinking about the whiteboard. That was one of the arms within the whiteboard. Right. And then at another time, she was serving on the board of another organization called Rod, Rod's Heroes, which promotes adoption for children with special needs. Um, and in her bio on the Rod's Heroes website, she identifies identifies herself as OUR's Director of Strategic Alliances, which was not actually um, a description we had found anywhere else. So OUR told us that she did work at Children Needs, Needs Families for two years as the Executive Director making 122,000 when she started and then 125,000 um the next year she left OUR shortly after Mr. Ballard's department departure they said and that um quote none of her work with children need families had any association with her self-proclaimed psychic abilities for any question about her alleged psychic abilities services rendered to Mr. Ballard or payment for those services please ask Ms. Russin or Mr. Ballard so OUR confirming that she worked there confirming her um, you know, seeming to confirm that her sort of alleged psychic abilities were part of the situation and um, telling us essentially, like, you got to ask Janet and Mr. Ballard about that. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to add, I'm going to add some more information there and, and I'm stepping on Anna. So I will, I will add that uh, she has, she has spoken to Ms. Russin several times uh, and she has made clear that she is not going to talk to us in the past. She's uh, mentioned an NDA she had signed Um so, so there you have that. Troy Rawlings, who's the uh, local prosecutor who was working with the FBI on this investigation, in an email to the Utah Attorney General, said that he had 10,000 pages of her psychic readings that, to his understanding, uh, she was communicating with the prophet Nephi, who's a figure from the Book of Mormon, who uh, would have died 600 years before Christ. And that she was the primary source of operational intelligence for OUR's paramilitary missions. So I want to be very clear that we're not talking about something that might be simply eccentric, like saying, hey, nothing else has worked. What can it hurt to talk to this lady? You know, either she helps us out or she doesn't. They were picking where to go on the basis of her uh, psychic communications with with Nephi and other dead figures. Um, she accompanied them on, you know, we, we've written about this one mission. We have photos of her being there, um, telling the father of a missing child that she was communicating with the father's dead mother and sister. Uh, they were, you know, they were going places, spending money that had been contributed to them by donors on her say-so. So, you know, I think uh, one can, without passing any judgment on the use of psychic mediums to communicate with the the afterlife for spiritual purposes, say that's a really bad idea. That's really something you should not be doing. Um, you're putting, you're wasting time, you're wasting money, you're putting people in danger, and you're raising the hopes of a father who doesn't know if his child is alive or not. Um that's what's that's what's going on there. It's it's really it's really strange and bizarre and sensationalistic and shocking and lurid, but uh, you know I think I think it really speaks for itself as well. And certainly 
one of the things that criminal investigators were extremely interested in was what donors would make of their money being <clears throat> raised from them on the premise that OUR worked with Navy SEALs, former operators, special forces guys, the best of the best, um, and was instead operating on the say-so of a psychic. We, in our 2021 story, um, I don't remember exactly how we characterized him, so I'll be very, I'll be very broad, but this was, we, we talked to somebody who was uh, a former member of special forces and was not only shocked to learn that the intelligence was derived from a psychic medium, but uh, by a lack of basic operational planning. Um, you know, I'm not going to, not going to claim to be much of an expert uh, in these matters myself, but I think as a matter of common sense, everybody understands that if you're engaging in a, a paramilitary operation, private or public in a foreign country, there's basic stuff you have to do, like map out the terrain, figure out transportation routes, figure out where medical facilities are, figure out how you would get to them from various places. Um, this isn't like super secret, <laughs> you know, Jason Bourne stuff. This is this is common sense stuff. This is the kind of planning you do if you go on a hiking trip. Uh, you know, what do I do if I break my leg? How am I going to get out? Um, they weren't doing that. And we've talked to other people who have, who have said very similar things. And these are people, you know, with very different experiences working in different parts of the world, but with OUR um, and people who had done this for a living were just astounded that there was no planning. So, you know, ultimately the investigation closed without charges, but I think it's very, you know, I think it's very plain to see why people would be investigating it and looking into whether, uh, you know, money was, money was raised under false pretenses or if laws about the laws governing communications um, and representations made by a nonprofit uh, would have potentially been violated here. Yeah. I mean, I think that that kind of flows nicely into something that we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is the public reaction to the reporting that has come out from the two of you this week. Um, and also the reporting on your reporting, which is, you know, I, <laughs> we are all journalists here to get a little bit in the weeds, you know, do you want to explain, you know, there were people across Utah, across the LDS communities, you know, just being like, okay, why would the LDS church give these vice reporters this statement? Yeah. You know, can we believe this to then the governor of Utah having things to say about this reporting? Yeah. So there was a lot of immediate skepticism from folks within the LDS community, especially people, I think it's fair to say, like on the right, folks who are more, um, maybe more conservative and don't like vice, which is fine and understandable, or folks who are more kind of automatically in Mr. Ballard's camp and just don't believe that something that the church would say something like this about him. So there were pretty immediate conspiracy theories on sort of Twitter and like right, right wing podcasts and elsewhere kind of questioning whether the, whether the statement was real and if it was real, whether it had actually come from the church, like a church spokesperson or it's some rogue element within the church, you know, um, we chose to identify 
the spokesperson who gave us the statement as just a spokesperson, because that is what he asked for. Um, that is pretty standard when you are speaking institutionally and not on your own behalf. And I think the church wanted to make it clear that they were speaking institutionally. But the fact that he didn't use his name um, generated a bunch of discussion. Also, the fact that they did not post the statement on their LDS newsroom website, hmm. which, of course, they didn't. It's a statement to a news outlet. It's not a press release. But there was a little bit of confusion about those two things, press release, statement, um, I think, added to by the fact that just it's very unusual. So um, there was a lot of questioning and truthering. And then interestingly, you know, a lot of sort of like figures within the LDS community were telling us that they were going to check into it for themselves and they were going to know if we had made it up. And we said, okay, you know, please do, please do that. So they did. And we didn't hear back from some of them and others, you know, confirmed that they had, that they had determined that it was real. Um, And then uh, when this skepticism and suspicion sort of continued in some quarters, the governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, who is a Republican, um, said in a press conference, um, it's a it's a normal weekly press conference. He did not call a press conference to talk about our reporting. Um, but in response to a question from a journalist from Utah's Fox 13, he said, yes, you know, I called the church. I checked with the church myself. I determined that it is an official statement. So again, Governor Cox is a Republican and he is himself LDS. And so he kind of, I think, put a total kibosh on any last realistic speculation by saying like, yes, I confirm this myself, which is kind of extraordinary. I've never actually had a governor do that. I've never had a governor follow up our reporting. So um, now the speculation has switched to, okay, well, why did the church give this statement to vice of all people? Why did they do that? And so there's this kind of pretty lively discussion going on about whether or not it was appropriate to give us a statement. Um, a lot of people claiming falsely that we are, you know, enemies of the faith, which is just not true. That's just not a thing. Um, and, you know, it's been it's been really interesting and sort of surreal to watch. You know, we're waiting through all these podcasts speculating about our work. Yeah, it's been it's been really, really strange to see how many people and it's hard to tell how much of it is is disingenuous and how much of it is just about like. <laughs> I guess you might nicely characterize it as naivete. And in some cases you might characterize it as media illiteracy. Um, they don't not understanding why the church issued the statement to us. So they issued the statement to us because we had specific questions about evidence of alleged sketchy business activities involving president M Russell Ballard uh, that came up in public records that were compiled during the course of a criminal investigation between a local prosecutor and the FBI. Um, and we needed to put those questions to him, ask him for context, explanation. You know, Tim Ballard uh, drawing something on a whiteboard or Tim Ballard, an associate of Tim Ballard claiming that he could arrange a meeting between M. Russell Ballard and a third party um, to encourage investment in a for-profit business are legitimate topics of discussion. But if you're going to raise those, you have to ask both Tim Ballard and M. Russell Ballard, what is going on here? What's additional context for these text messages that we have? Why was this on a whiteboard? Were you a, a, a business partner of Tim Ballard? Were you an undisclosed, silent business partner of Tim Ballard's 
in a for-profit company that he aimed to use to control his own nonprofit and ultimately funnel money and attention to his own personal personal brand. And the statement we got back was that, you know, that's not true, that M. Russell Ballard has withdrawn his association from Tim Ballard, that he had done so months ago after he became aware that Tim Ballard was misrepresenting uh, their association to advance his own personal, uh, you know, and business ventures. You know, I think if you look at the evidence, there are still some questions there, but that is M. Russell Ballard's side of the story. And, you know, Tim Ballard has his side of the story, which is that everything we say is lies. But the reason it was given to us is because we asked about it. So for the church to randomly put a press release out answering questions that hadn't even been made public would make no sense for them to release it to a church owned outlet like Deseret News would make no sense. There would be no context for it. For all they knew, we might not ever publish our reporting at all. For all they knew, they gave us a statement and we would have said, well, there's not even a story here. You know, M. Russell Ballard has no uh, connection to Tim Ballard. We're just going to put this on the back burner and see if we can put some White Sox stories up. <laughs> it just, there would be absolutely no reason in the world for the church not to respond to us, to give us, you know, their perspective, new facts, new information. And there'd be no reason for them to give it to anyone else. When other outlets um, ask to confirm, which, you know, we don't take personally, we do that all the time. You know, if we see something crazy, we, all of us, we reach out and say, you know, hey, Apple, is this true? Did you really put out a statement saying that, you know, the, the, the ghost of Steve Jobs designed the new, you know, designed the new iPhone? Um, that's a totally normal thing to do. So it's been really, it's been really funny to see. And it's been really strange to see, you know, Tim Ballard has repeatedly, repeatedly publicly uh, you know, referred to the statement as alleged, intimated that it's false, that it might've been a rogue spokesperson, that the statement didn't uh, really reflect the church's institutional views. And, you know, no one has to listen to us, but, you know, Experts in the LDS church, reporters, academics, historians um, who have been talking about this have made clear that there is no possibility this is a rogue statement. That in fact, the overwhelming, it's overwhelmingly likely verging on, you know, uh, the only possible way this would have come out is that this was discussed at the absolute highest levels of the church with their media relations team, with leaders of the faith possibly with lawyers, this would be more something that like a dozen or more people would have vetted and collaboratively come up with, which is probably why it took so much time for them to get it to us, because they want to be very precise about what they were saying. And it was interesting. It was startling. It was surprising because of the content of it. But the fact that it was given to us is, you know, really routine, just it would have been really routine if they said, you know, uh, President Ballard has no comment on Tim Ballard or any alleged business ties between them. That would have been totally normal too. Yeah. And uh, sorry, Maya, I saw you about to say something. Okay, uh, so yeah, go ahead. No, no, you. No, I'm, I'm going to force you to go. All yeah. right, fine. Uh, just wanted to note, Jer Bear one says in the chat uh, that the governor addressed this specifically, uh, Tim, that they said, the governor said during the press conference that he had personally checked to make sure that the statement had been vetted. This was not a rogue PR person. 
Right, which I appreciated and is also just a reflection of how uh, far the theorizing got that folks were, that folks had these questions. You know, so, um, yeah, and that the, the governor had to weigh in on it. It's very crazy. But hey, it's fine. I, I highly, highly encourage people to be skeptical of what they read. Like, I think it's great. <laughs> you know, yeah. what we reported is true. So if anybody wants to do their own research, they're, they're you know, they're, they're more than welcome to. I, I don't know if it's the best use of their time, but, you know, I, I play, you know, I play Starfield. I don't know if that's the best use of my time. So I'm not in any position to I say mean, anything. There's also been a couple of other kind of interesting add-ons to this, which is like Glenn Beck did a bunch of tweets and then deleted them. Glenn Beck is, I believe, LDS also, right? Yes. And he is the founder of the Nazarene Fund, which was like ended up being a sister organization to OUR. Mr. Ballard left the Nazarene Fund shortly after leaving OUR. Nazarene Fund has told us that there are no allegations of misconduct there. They don't have any concerns of that kind. But, you know, Glenn Beck did this outraged tweet storm the other day saying that he felt that the church in making this statement had effectively excommunicated Mr. Ballard and that he found that unacceptable. And he said that he had confirmed that the statement was legitimate. And then he deleted all those tweets and hasn't answered some of our questions, which I don't know. I don't understand. And then um, there's this right wing figure in Utah named Eric Motsas. I'm sorry, I don't know how to say his last name, who has now come out and said that he has spoken to two of the women making allegations against Tim Ballard and has basically said that he like believes them to be true. So there's all this weird um, stuff happening behind the scenes in Utah and with people sort of connected with OUR, connected with the LDS world where people are starting to come out and sort of talk about what they know or what they believe to be true. Yeah. I mean, it seems like this is very much, you know, setting something in motion that, you know, we're just going to continue to learn more about. And I'm not going to ask for, you know, any actual speculation because that would not be prudent here. <laughs> but to, to bring it back to the beginning of what we were talking about and that mention of Tim Ballard potentially running for Senate in Utah, I mean, how... In your opinion, based on on all this stuff, you know, does that still feel likely that he might, based on his response to everything, that he's still going to go ahead and do with that? It is my personal belief that he is going to announce. That is that is my that is my sense. Tim, what do you think? I also believe he's going to. Um, we we've talked to some folks who know uh, the Utah political scene better than we do, including an, an active operative who has affiliations with another candidate. And the analysis I get is that it's he wouldn't be considered a favorite, um, but it's not clear that all of this is necessarily going to hurt him that badly. His his chances would probably be harmed more by his not, you know, he doesn't have a background as an elected official. There are, there are other there are going to be other candidates in the race, and there are also going to be other candidates who are in the same kind of ideological space without maybe baggage or controversy around them. So if you're looking for somebody who's going to say, you know, the Biden administration is a human trafficking delivery service, or we need to build a wall. Um, there are other people who are probably going to be capable of doing that. And they might be a little more informed about how, you know, you get things done 
as an elected official or, you know, other policy areas. I'm, I'm, I, you know, have no idea what Tim Ballard's, uh, you know, positions on the marginal tax rate are or, you know, Ukraine or whether the federal government should be leveraging uh, transportation funding to enforce, uh, you know, an end to parking minimums at stations near federally funded train stops are many, many issues uh, in America that I don't know that he's particularly qualified to speak to. So it may well be that the net effect of all this is to marginally, you know, make him a marginally less attractive candidate, even to people who like him. It's also entirely possible that this could really galvanize people behind him who, you know, view uh, yeah, he has said in his public statements that these allegations are not only false, but they are ginned up by a cabal of people in media, government, and you know he even appears to have intimated, perhaps within the church, who want to stop him because of their alliance with evil pedophiles. Um, that's certainly not true in our case. I don't believe it to be the case in in any other, you know, in any other case, but. You know, we've certainly seen that kind of rhetoric have um, real galvanizing power uh, with Republicans, particularly in electoral context. So, yeah, nothing would surprise me if if I had to bet. And I'm not trying to speculate here. I'm just just trying to give an honest read based on totally you know, what, what what we know about. I would guess. Well, also, he what be, he, yeah, yeah I, I think he will announce. I would guess he's not going to be the Republican nominee for Senate, but I think it's totally up in the air. It's worth noting that he issued a statement on Instagram like a day ago where he said he was standing in front of Abraham Lincoln's summer home in Washington, D.C. And he said, you know, like Lincoln, I will not stop. I will not give up. Um, More specifically, more specifically, he, he was he said he was thinking about how in 1862, Abraham Lincoln was spending time there and his advisors were telling him not to uh, write the Emancipation Proclamation. They were saying it was too much that it would it would push America deeper into war, but that he had to do what he was right. So I think it would be completely reasonable to infer that he has people around him who are telling him this is not a propitious time to run for Senate and that he was... Uh, intimating that his inclination is to ignore them and push forward with what he knows to be right, which is running for Senate. And he suggested that the timing of these allegations was to scuttle his Senate campaign, which is, you know, not. Yeah. And, and I can just, interest to do. I can yeah. just say as a, as a, as a plain matter of fact, the, the timing of our reporting was based on the time between when we got, these documents and when we were ready to publish stories. Um, I'll candidly say that certainly the fact that there was a lot of speculation um, about him running for Senate uh, increased my sense of urgency a little bit, but these were stories that before any of that came out, before Mitt Romney said he wouldn't be running for Senate in the next cycle, you know, we were, we were days away from publishing. So (laughs) <laughs> it just didn't it just didn't have any effect. Um, the the story about misconduct, which we had been reporting on for a couple of months, the timing of that, the timing of that came about because the story we published on Friday added we were 
it changed the dynamic a little bit and we were able to get a little more confirmation um, as to what the nature of the investigation that had led to or preceded his resignation was. And so at that point we felt really confident, um, you know, publishing our story, but the, the allegations came up earlier this year and the investigation was earlier this year and it absolutely nothing to do with his, his plans for, uh, you know, running for office. And you guys know this to be true because we kept saying that we were going to come on cyber <laughs> once we published these stories and we pushed back like three weeks because we were just not ready. We just had um, eyes to cross and T's to dot. And so we, we kept canceling on you. So you guys know how long we've been working on this and it definitely is not about the timing of his Senate campaign, but like Tim says, you know, the fact that he's considering running for Senate is, you know, is certainly interesting and it makes his activities, I think even more sort of, um, relevant to a, an even broader group of people who might care about what he would be like as an elected official. Yeah. I mean, and as that story continues to develop and, you know, we learn more about OUR and what Tim Ballard has been up to over these past couple of years, we'll, we'll be continuing to wait for you guys to, to come with us with more pursuits <laughs> and information as it comes out. Um, so thank you, Tim and Anna, for like taking the time out of a very busy week to talk to us about all of this. It's super complicated, super complex, a lot of things to make sure that you have to get right and be sensitive about. So yeah, thank you again for coming on and for doing the work. Thank you so much for having us and for summarizing our work in these wonderful TikToks. That's all for this episode, Cyber Listeners. We'll be back again later this week to talk about Luddites and the birth of anti-tech resistance. We're recording Cyber Live on Twitch every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash vice. If you like listening to the show, you'll love watching us record it live. That's every Friday at twitch.tv slash vice at 11 a.m. Eastern. See you there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.